Al Jazeera Podcasts. Hi, this is Saril Khalili, a senior producer with The Take, and this is another take. Stories from the archives that are relevant again now. On Friday, Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny died in an Arctic penal colony where he was serving a long sentence. The Russian Federal Prison Service said he died after collapsing and losing consciousness. But Western officials and Kremlin critics blamed Russian President Vladimir Putin for Navalny's death. Putin is preparing for an election, which would keep him in power until at least 2030. Today's episode is about Navalny. He's a complicated figure, known for his fierce opposition to Putin, but also with a controversial history of nationalism. Here's that episode now, but remember, none of the dates or other references have changed from March 26, 2021, when it originally aired. Look, I think I'm ready to sacrifice everything for my job and for the people who are surrounding me. I'm not let them down. That's Russian dissident Alexei Navalny. And this is journalist Mansour Merovalev. Nobody's perfect, uh, especially a big politician. So we journalists have to create a more vivid and more controversial portrait of someone that important. Mansour thinks the world has been too forgiving of Navalny. Most of the coverage of him sounds like this. Alexei Navalny has been the most vocal and effective critic of Russia's government. He is an outspoken blogger, an anti-corruption campaigner, and Mr. Putin's fiercest critic. Putin and the Kremlin make a point of never saying his name. Mansour thinks the President Vladimir Putin versus Alexei Navalny narrative leaves out a big part of the story, Navalny's nationalistic past. Mansour has set out to round out that perspective. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. This week, Navalny's lawyers have said that his health is sharply deteriorating as he sits in a prison he's described as a concentration camp. Russian officials say Navalny's health is just fine. It's just another example of how the Putin-Navalny showdown is full of conflicting narratives. We saw this, too, with Navalny's poisoning last August. Navalny got really sick on a domestic flight, fell into a coma, and had to be transferred to a hospital in Germany. He was diagnosed as having been poisoned by a chemical weapon called Novichok. Now recovered, Alexei Navalny returned to Russia and was immediately arrested. Navalny blames President Vladimir Putin for the poisoning and everything that followed. The Russian government says there's no evidence Navalny was even poisoned. But Western countries are standing with Navalny. The Russians responsible for the arrest, sentencing and persecution of the opposition leader Alexei Navalny will be sanctioned by the EU. The U.S. sanctions target seven senior Russian officials and 14 entities. But Mansour says the U.S. and EU may want to be more cautious about throwing their full support behind Navalny. He's interviewed Navalny three times and followed his career closely and says that there are a few red flags to worry about. I sat down with him earlier this month to learn more. 
Mansoor, tell me about yourself and what we should know about you. I'm Mansoor Mirovalev. Mirovalev. It's pretty unpronounceable, but <laughs> the root is Arabic, heavily Slavicized. I'm a freelance print journalist and a television producer. I have worked with Al Jazeera, the Associated Press, ABC News, BBC, CNN, NBC, The New York Times, The LA Times, Vice News, The Wired Magazine, and so on. Wow, it runs the gamut. So we're here today to talk about Alexei Navalny. Recently, Amnesty International revoked their prisoner of conscience status that they had given Navalny. They say it's because of nationalistic and anti-migrant things that he has said or done in the past. Can you give us a few examples of what those might be? Yeah. In 2007, Navalny was kicked out of Yablaka, which is Russia's oldest uh, liberal democratic party. And he was kicked out because he took part in the uh, so-called Russian March, a rally of several thousand uh, far-right nationalists, monarchists, white supremacists, neo-Nazis. It is a pretty scary thing for anyone whose uh, skin is not exactly snow white, because you are surrounded by several thousand big guys, bodybuilders, pretty aggressive, often drunk. Most of them have very short hair or no hair at all. And they uh, yell nationalist slogans. They have banners with nationalist statements. And there is always a little group of youngsters who would raise their right hands in the Nazi salutes and who would say Heil Hitler. Wow. And this is in the 2000s. Yes, the first Russian march was held in 2005. The Russian marches took off in the early 2000s. It was a time of peak nationalism in the country. Georgia and Russia were fighting a border war. There was ongoing unrest in the wake of the war in Chechnya. For many Russian citizens, these military tensions translated to ethnic tensions. Mansour says there was a lot of distrust between white Russians and people with darker skin. As an Uzbek man, he falls in the second category. And he says that made it scary for him to report from the Russian marches. It was an almost uh, anthropological experience because I saw a group of uh, extremely aggressive people who pretty much advocated forced expulsions or violence. And at the time, there were hundreds, literally hundreds of hate killings in Russia. The peak was in 2008. More than 100 people were killed and hundreds more were wounded, maimed in hate attacks. So it was a very scary time to be a non-ethnic Russian in uh, Moscow. So Navalny's attendance at these Russian marches was just one example Mansour pointed to as evidence of Navalny's nationalism. For his part, Navalny has defended his attendance, saying he was only there to support the right to protest. But Mansour says that around the same time, Navalny was also gaining infamy for some anti-migrant YouTube videos. 
One, which he uploaded in 2007, was especially upsetting to human rights groups. So in the video, he presents himself as a, a certified nationalist. And he says that you have to fight flies and cockroaches in your apartment. And in the background, you see photos of bearded Muslim men. And then he says, but if a cockroach attacks, you have the right to kill it. So he whips out a gun, and then there is an actor with this Palestinian headscarf rushing towards him, and he pretends to kill him. The video is still posted on one of Navalny's YouTube channels, which means he never denounced it. He never wants us to forget about it. And then after the video was released, he came up with more nationalist statements. Like during his run for mayor of Moscow, six years after the video was released. Mansour says opposing migration was a huge part of Navalny's campaign. In 2013, Navalny was allowed by the Kremlin to take part in the mayoral campaign in Moscow. And he ran it on very anti-migrant slogans. And he forced the, the Kremlin candidate to also switch to very anti-migrant rhetoric. They mostly talked about labor migrants from Central Asia and labor migrants from Russia's North Caucasus region. Both uh, groups are Muslim. Both groups do not look exactly European. They spoke about cleaning Moscow, about giving jobs back to ethnic Russians, about improving the, the security situation in Moscow, because at the time there were many uh, allegations that these labor migrants, they take our jobs and they uh, rape our women, which is not true statistically. How did Navalny transform from a man known mainly for his anti-migrant views into this anti-corruption, anti-Vladimir Putin figure now known around the world? Alexei Navalny is a very scrupulous, very good lawyer who can dig up all sorts of background stuff, who can find financial info hidden very well. So he decided to focus on anti-corruption investigations. He pretty much pioneered these targeted, thorough investigations into certain top officials in the Kremlin. And he found the most incredible things, such as one of former Putin's colleagues who was in charge of Russian railroads from the Baltic to the Pacific. And he had two gigantic refrigerators for his wife's fur coats in his house. Navalny made a job of looking for corruption amongst Russia's elite, and he found it. Through the anti-corruption foundation he started, Navalny's posted hundreds of videos about his investigations, and they're wildly popular. More than 100 million people watched the video he uploaded in January. We head now to the Black Sea and to a sprawling palace complex with its own amphitheater, a tea house, and a helipad. Who owns it? Well, Kremlin critic Alexei Navalny has released a two-hour video investigation saying the palace was built for Russian President Vladimir Putin using taxpayer money. Navalny's supporters say these anti-corruption investigations are important. 
they've come out by the thousands, braving freezing temperatures and police brutality to voice their support for Navalny's work. We wanted to hear from someone who could explain why he's such a popular figure, even despite his nationalistic past. So we called Natalia Antonova. She's a journalist who has covered Navalny's anti-corruption work and says it's had a positive impact on Russia. So the thing about Navalny is that he is an extremely charismatic and talented person who can speak about Russian corruption in a very ironic and accessible and also very transparent way. People do get inspired by the work he does. The Russian economy is basically the most unequal world economy. The top 3% of the population hold almost all of the money and resources in the country, and that should give everyone pause. That's uh, a dangerous state of affairs. It breeds resentment. He exposes it. So absolutely, Navalny's work is important. Natalia doesn't deny that Navalny's anti-migrant statements were and are problematic. She just says they need to be viewed within the right context. I think that people should absolutely be aware that Navalny has a nationalist past and that he in fact started uh, as a pretty hardcore nationalist. Should we use it to discredit him as he sits in one of Russia's most notorial prisons? Absolutely not, Uh, that's disgusting. We need to understand that politicians don't have to be heroes. They just, you know, need to do their jobs correctly. The last decade of Navalny's career has been about assessing if politicians are doing their jobs correctly. And the Kremlin has found ways to push back. As Navalny became more of a force for Putin to reckon with, he found himself increasingly face-to-face with security forces and jail sentences. Navalny was detained during a raid on the headquarters of his anti-corruption foundation in Moscow. Mr. Navalny is serving a 30-day prison sentence after he was jailed for calling public protests against the exclusion of opposition candidates from local elections. In the capital, Moscow, tens of thousands had gathered as they chanted, Freedom for Alexei Navalny. But Mansour says Navalny's poisoning last year and his arrest in January were the last straw for many Russians. When he was arrested last time, in, upon his return from Germany, some friends of mine who never gave a damn about politics, they said, OK, that's enough, because we don't like him personally. We're not into what he says, but if he gets arrested now, it means that it will be our turn tomorrow. What do you think it was about this last time on his return from Germany, that was the last straw for some people, like your friends. It's an almost uh, mythical transformation, you know, like in a fairy tale or like in a religious myth when uh, you have this David versus Goliath situation, but David doesn't just win. He gets almost killed. He spends several weeks in a coma. He recovers. He has a chance to stay abroad, but he comes back to fight with Goliath. So this martyrdom, this near-death experience, in certain ways, it purged Navalny of his nationalist past. It's like Gandalf in The Lord of the Rings. Gandalf the Grey dies, and here comes Gandalf the White. Despite the drama of the Putin-Navalny showdown, 
Mansour says it is still important for people to understand Navalny's nationalistic past. There could be a pretty unpleasant surprise in the future if Navalny comes to power. But Vladimir Putin has also made some pretty flagrant anti-migrant comments in the past. He has criticized leaders like Germany's Angela Merkel for her more welcoming stance and immigration policies. He has complimented former U.S. President Donald Trump for his restrictive ones. So how would you compare his views against Navalny's views on this issue? Uh, It's hypocrisy because Putin realizes very well that the ethnic Russian population is dying out very quickly. Russia needs cheap manual labor. He simplifies the rules of acquiring Russian citizenship every year. Last year alone, several hundred thousand Ukrainian nationals became Russian nationals because Putin realizes Russia needs people urgently. So he could say whatever he wants about you know, Trump's migration bans, but he realizes that in order for Russia to develop economically, it needs lots of cheap labor from outside Russia. So you're saying that they're both populists at heart, but Vladimir Putin is also a realist and knows what Russia needs, and what Russia needs is immigration. So then more widely speaking, how do anti-migration and anti-corruption views fit within Russian culture? Beyond Putin, beyond Navalny, are these issues that people care about? For the seven decades of communist rule, there was a very strong push from the government for racial and gender equality, internationalism, as they called it, which meant that nationalism, chauvinism, white supremacy and something like that would be punished severely. But this policy backfired after the Soviet collapse because some Russians think uh, that they've become an oppressed majority in their country because of the scholarships and and the tolerance and and things like that. Nationalism is supported by at least 30% of average Russians, which means so far it is the only ideology that will find uh, popular support. Forecasting ahead, do you think there's a sizable portion of Russians who want to see Navalny as president someday? Not right now. So far, it's middle class urbanites who know about him because most of average Russians, they still rely on television as the main source of information. And even though some of Navalny's uh, videos have been seen tens of millions of times, It doesn't mean that the Jane and Joe of Russia, the the Ivan and Maria of Russia, know about him and support his policies. They just simply see television reports about him and they know that, okay, yeah, this guy is pretty shady. Putin doesn't like him very much. I don't want to do anything with him. That's what they think. You wrote a piece for aljazeera.com, and it is entitled, Has Alexei Navalny Moved On from His Nationalist Past? So, based on your reporting, based on everything you've seen, how would you answer that? I think he has not. He gave an interview to Echo Moskvi, one of the last independent radio stations in Russia, and the, the host asked 
him whether he would attend a Russian march in the future. And he said, yes, I would. In the beautiful Russia of tomorrow, I would definitely attend a Russian march and I would want everyone to go there. What is the takeaway from that? Does that scare you? It means that he didn't give up on his nationalist policies. He didn't all of a sudden transfer into this liberal democratic prince in shining armor. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Priyanka Tilve with Nagin Oliai, Alexandra Locke, Ney Alvarez, Dina Gispe, Amy Walters, and me, Malika Bilal. Natalia Aldana is our team's engagement producer. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Stacey Samuel is the executive producer. We'll be back.